Hello, and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Kristen. And tonight we talk about peanut butter. And jelly. Wait, and what? the mess you made before the show. <laughs> I, I did a boo-boo. Erased all our show notes. Oopsies. <laughs> And then the th what's interesting, the tool to get the, the, the way you go through to get it back is you go to a JSON API, which is the most bizarre thing. But anyway. Why don't they just have, we use Trello for our show notes. <laughs> and so why don't they just have show me the last version button? Yeah. If they, yeah, obviously well. they keep it because they have a JSON for it. But But then they'd have to program the interface for it if they had that. Laziness. Maybe they ought to put that on a Trello card for a future feature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so before we get into talking about what are we talking about? The jam stack. The jam stack. Uh, what did you do this week? Uh, did some database consulting, some Rails consulting, and dealing with the bloody Spammers! Oh, those bastards. The form spammers. I hate the form spammers. Anyway, <laughs> part so spent some time working combating those foes. Uh, did some other feature development related to my app and had an interesting issue. I use the audited gem, which is a Ruby library that you can configure your models whenever there is an, some sort of change and insert, update, delete, that it records the fact that it was done. And if it is a change, it shows you what was old, what was there before, what's there in the model now. Uh, and if you delete it, it shows you what was there. So I've used it for my system to track a whole bunch of different things just to know when things have changed. It's not really, hasn't been a core part of the, feature set like if anything is missed it's not a big deal mm -hmm. but i was going to do something start using it for a purpose because it already did close to what i needed it to do i started to use it for a purpose that i really do need it to always work and basically auditing uh, whether a financial transaction was changed and strangely enough someone did a change to one of these transactions and there's nothing recorded. So I have no idea what that's about or why that happened. So I'm like, hmm. well, I got to depend on this thing. So basically I coded my own way for this particular feature. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this to be able to track this. And it also had an added benefit because people wanted to be able to call it via an API and I'm able to put it in a more consistent and what I consider usable structure compared to the way the audited gem did it. But it was, I was just so frustrated the fact that I clearly saw that the data changed. I can look in the logs and I can see what was there before, what was changed, you know, and there was no entry in the table that it places in them. So I, I don't know what was going on. Weird. But. Anyway, so what about you? Uh, well, this week has been kind of weird. I haven't actually done a whole lot of programming 
uh, I've been mostly playing politics with a big client. The the political Yay. back and forth of <laughs> eh, it's just and I have zero patience for that kind of crap. I, it just drives me nuts. I don't like politics and bureaucracy and stuff, so it's it's just annoying for me. But you know, with with big corporations, sometimes that's just the game you got to play. Um, and so I, I did a lot of that with with support and feature requests and stuff back and forth on those things. And um, so not not a tremendous amount of actual coding. I fixed a couple little nitnoids. Um, and actually, what I did spend a good amount of time on over the past week was pairing with one of the other engineers who's uh, working on upgrading our our big core service from Rails 5.2 up to Rails 7. So, yeah. So Are you doing... Not, no, no, no. Wait. We're going to 6 first. Okay. I was just, <laughs> just making sure. Okay. But the... The, the project is to get us to seven. Right, right, so, right. The ultimate um, goal. Right. Yeah. So and he was he was gonna do all the way to seven. And I'm like, oh no, let's let's go to six, put it up in production, take a breath, let it let it shake out, and then we'll go to six one. Let that yeah, shake out. Yeah, because that's and Rails designed it that way because they've got the um I can't remember what it's called, but they there's feature sliders. So you go to six, and even once you go to six there are 15, 20 features that are disabled. Right. And the intent is to go in, I think a framework defaults or something like that. And you yeah. go in and you make sure you're ready. And then you individually flip each one of those switches as you're ready. Then right. you're saying, okay, now we're fully on six and we're ready to go to 6.1. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And it, it's been going relatively smoothly for the most part. The biggest stumbling blocks we've had is just weird things in some of the tests where, you know, we, like deep down in the bowels of something, some gem changed how they were, you know, changed a method call or something. So we have to crawl down through all that stuff and say, oh, or or go look at the, the readmes for the past few years of the gym and see oh well at this version they changed this method call so we have to swap to this that's been the biggest kind of headache but it's i mean all in all based on the fact that i've done several of these and that this code base is really big i was pretty worried about this it's been relatively smooth so that's a happy thing it's i always find it interesting it's the gems that are always the issue and not really the code of the application that you're upgrading. Right. And, you know, this wouldn't have been as bad. This is, this is kind of a lesson. I, I, I never advocate being bleeding edge in production. Like, it, it, I, I would not have said, hey, when Rails 7 comes out that week, update your production to Rails 7. No, no, no. Let it sit a little bit. Or, and do some testing and staging and stuff, make sure. But still being on 5.2 is too long. Had we been keeping up with things a little better, this this would be a much simpler process. So, you know, I wouldn't get two versions behind in your production, two major versions behind in your production stack, because it just makes things bad. Because even trying just trying to jump 5.2 to 6... 
most of our problems are in trying to figure out how to get all the gems updated to support that and having to go back several years and go through all the changes they've gone through to figure out, okay, which version do we need to be on? Cause we had a version, several of the gems lock in the versions because they don't, they didn't necessarily say, Hey, this version is limited to rails five, two, and this one's limited to six. So some of the versions, when we did a bundle update, some of the versions of gems just jumped way past what we could use yet. So that was nifty, but you know, it's, so a learning thing for all of you out there, keep your rails and your Ruby. There were a few issues with the Ruby update too, going from two, six to two, seven My, minor things, but still keep those things close to up to date and do it regularly. You know, keep your gems up to date, all that stuff makes life much easier when you have to go through these major up, updates. So peanut butter. Here we and go. And jelly. I know nothing about the jam stack, so I'm excited to learn. I mean, I know what it is. I can't say I know nothing about it, but I don't ever program in, in this kind of architecture. So teach me, sensei. <laughs> okay, so I'm kind of, I'll start by kind of where the show idea came from. So basically, I was redoing, plan to do one of my websites. And into the history of me making websites, you know, way back when, when I created my, I'll say the first website for the company, which was quite a long time ago, it was just a static site that you could upload any hosting service, like DreamHost, if you remember that from years ago. Jeez. Yeah, because that's what it was. You just create your site. I think I probably made the first version in Dreamweaver and FTP'd Jeez. it up there. So there you go. Wait, that's a blast from the past that I don't that I don't miss at all. Well, I mean, that's what you see is what you get editor to make a website. So, <laughs> hey, it worked. True. <laughs> the next one, the next one I did is I did it as a Rails app. So I actually just because of I was like you know hammer nail. So I know how to do Rails apps. I'm going to do the next web. So I'll just do it as a Rails app. And I just wrote the code to, to do it. Because I didn't want to... I had considered doing it in PHP. Not PHP. I should say WordPress. But I'm like, PHP and MySQL. And I got to learn all this new... No, no. I'm going to use the hammer. And I'm going to hit the nails that I know. Mm -hmm. Well... Eventually, I was going to hire some people to do generate some content. So I wasn't going to be writing something, but someone else was. And I actually paid for a service. And they said, we use WordPress to do our provide our service to you. And so I'm like, all right, I'm finally going to get on WordPress. So I got on WordPress on, and I used one of the hosted solutions. So I was paying for the website to be hosted by someone who knows how to quote unquote quote unquote run WordPress, but there were still all sorts of things that had to be configured and installed. And at least at the time that I did this, if you think JavaScript, um, you know, when you're trying to bundle JavaScript together and you have dependency hell, it was kind of the same thing for WordPress extensions or whatever they call them. Mm -hmm. 
So I was dealing with that. And eventually I stopped using this, you know, author service for the, the people who are writing the posts. And I was like, I'm going to drop WordPress like a bad habit because I hate this thing. So what I went to is a static site generator. So if you're not familiar with that, it basically you hand code your HTML or you can use any form of markup to do it. And then you write a command and it builds out the files. So you can create templates and it just statically builds them out. And then you can just FTP them somewhere or like you used to do a Dreamweaver. Right. Or you just, <laughs> today, you would just stick them on a CDN. So that gets, you know, global easy just distribution of your site. But it's essentially a static site. And Jekyll at the time, Jekyll was a very familiar one, Ruby-based. I think GitHub started it or someone affiliated with GitHub started it. And then um, Middleman is another gem, a Ruby static site generator. And that's actually the one that I started using. So basically all my sites are built with the Middleman static site generator. And there are links in the description for the video. So... This was great person. This is great for one person generating content, in my opinion, because you can then add in JavaScript to do certain things, but basically it's just creates your static HTML, CSS, JS files or whatever. But the problem becomes, what if you have more than one content creator? Now, if you have <clears throat> like a couple of developers, I'm sure you can coordinate using Git workflows or whatever to keep a you know, your repository up to date and do a build and then a deployment. But I was going to hire someone who is just a content writer. So what would be the easiest thing is for them to use some sort of a content management system to go to a form, fill out the form, write the content in a, you know, that's going to be placed in there. So kind of like the WordPress interface offers or other CMS, any CMS. And I was looking at this and I was actually considering, uh, well, do I just want to go with a hosted web solution like Squarespace or something to, to keep it easy? Bless you. Sorry. Big sneeze there off, off mic. That's fine. So <laughs> at that point, I was looking at what I was going to do and I actually found some tools that would let you design a site for free using pre-built templates. And I said, oh, that'd be kind of cool if I could use that, but I wouldn't be using Squarespace. You know, I wouldn't be a hosted solution. But then I found, happened upon this concept of using a static site generator with a headless CMS. So that's the path I am currently pursuing. And I kind of wanted to talk about that from a Jamstack perspective. So now let's go ahead and get into what the Jamstack is. And basically the Jamstack is the J is for JavaScript, the A is for API, and the M is for markup, some sort of markup. And I'll kind of consider this a third form of web application architecture. Like the original web application architecture, I'll call conventional web apps, are done by, you have pages that are generated when you visit and they're usually based upon templates. But whenever you click a link, it 
whenever a client clicks on a link, it gets routed to a particular page. And then that page is dynamically built based upon the template and the data, usually in a database. So each page gets essentially newly created every time. Now that can be cached of, of course by the backend application server or even a further out to the edge CDN. But basically a page gets created every time. So this is kind of the basic Rails type. This is a Rails site. app. This is a WordPress is the same way. Most content management systems are the same. You know, it's the way Node.js operates. Your basic MVC type of. M yeah, yeah. And with each interaction, each page that is sent, you get the HTML, the CSS, and the JavaScript sent down. Now I'll contrast that with the other major way that people write web apps, and that's with doing a single page web app. So in that, I'll consider the pages as more of a virtual concept. And when you go to a particular route, essentially you're, there's just one template because it's a single page <laughs> and that's downloaded, but a whole boatload of JavaScript to go, to go down with it. And then it's JavaScript that actually says, okay, where are you going? You're going to this page. All right, hey, central server, give me the data so I can build the page. So it's actually the JavaScript that builds out the page just by in what gets transferred between the server and the client is a lot of JSON. Mm -hmm. And... So basically the pages are rebuilt, but it's usually done by the client side JavaScript. So it's very heavy on the client end. Now this Jamstack is kind of a third way of doing it where all of the pages are rendered at deploy time and they're stored in the CDN. So basically nothing's really dynamically built on the fly or very few things are built dynamically on the fly. There is no backend application server, essentially. So if you want to use the Jamstack, you can do it without a backend application server because um, you're just throwing your files on the CDN and a client pulls them down. Now, you do need probably some interactivity, and that's where JavaScript comes in, typically interacting with an API. So basically the client pulls down HTML, CSS, and, and, CSS and, C, and JavaScript from the CDN and API calls handle any dynamic elements. So a good example of this type of application is basically the Rubber Duck Dev Show website. That is entirely static content. All files are stored on a CDN and you're just pulling it down. The only interactive element on the whole thing is the form to collect email addresses if you want to sign up for our newsletter. And that is basically just an embedded form application that does it, but you could have done it, or we could have done it by having a JavaScript snippet that just sends it the email to an API to store it in a CRM or store it in a, you know, email marketing application or, or whatever. So that's basically what the Jamstack is now in terms of the advantages one of the big advantages is performance so everything is already 
on the CDN, already cached globally. You don't have to dynamically build a page for each person. Like, for example, imagine you're in Japan and you're visiting a site in the US. If you're visiting a Jamstack site, you're probably getting the files from somewhere in, in at a CDN endpoint in Asia. Oops. Oopsies. <laughs> anyway, whereas if you are using like a Rails app, that person actually, and you don't have a CDN distributing things, you're going to have to go all the way to the server in the US to be able to build the page and then send it all the way down to Japan. And for those who are listening on audio, he is now demonstrating a video showing the Jamstack workflow. Yeah, I found a little diagram. Visual aids, pictures, they're the best. So performance, because again, there's no server rendering required. Uh, there is higher security because again, you have no backend server you have to protect. Now you do have your APIs and your services, but perhaps you can off, you know, somebody else is taking care of that depending on how your application is structured. And you can still have a backend server that runs your own API to do certain things if you want. But generally the core files are just all sitting out on the CDN. And because it's all on a CDN, it's much easier to scale and maintain because you just update the files in the CDN and it gets recached. So you don't have to worry about a farm of backend servers you need to manage or load balance or anything like that because it's all taken care of by the CDN. Now, in terms of when to use the Jamstack, and this is my opinion, other people may have different opinions, but I think it's good for sites with little dynamically generated data. So if most of your data is static, then the Jamstack makes all the sense in the world. Like for example, I get informational websites. I can't imagine any of those not being built with a Jamstack like essentially. Most company websites, things that you right. know present the glossy brochures and the yes, you know, that kind of stuff. And I even think some product websites, if they're like a product static product catalog that doesn't change that much, that makes sense too. Because you know, go ahead and throw throw them in there. And if because you can easily interact with an API if you actually want to do purchase a product, so you could you know use some dynamic elements with that. I think that makes a lot of sense. But if most of your data is being rendered real time then I think it starts making less sense. But it's not to say you can't do it because you can always have the client application, the JavaScript client application, application actually calls it the external API to get that data you need and renders it out. But depending on how much data you have to pull over and render out, you're going to lose some of you know, your speed benefits because you're not relying upon the whole static page being pre-built. Right. Because there's still, you have to wait for an API call to pull down data to then merge it in for the client. Um, but, but you can do that. <clears throat> so what are the kind of the restrictions of this Jamstack? Like when can I not use it? An example of 
I haven't thought about it from that perspective. Because um, I'm thinking this would work for like a blog site where yeah. it's not changing often or a marketing site where you're putting articles up. You got many people putting articles up, but they're not, it's not all real time stuff. Yeah. I mean, again, you can build anything with it, but anything that's like highly dynamic being updated very quickly, I think it makes less and less sense because you're going to want to put, I think it makes less, less, less sense to do it that way, but I think you could build probably any application doing it this way. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering at what point, where is kind of the, the tipping point where it's, it's better to use the Jamstack or it's better to not use the Jamstack in these situations. Um, so if, if uh, chat, if you've got any ideas, uh, please throw them in the comments Any examples. Yeah. Of... Or, or opinions. Yeah. And because I haven't pursued this as a, <clears throat> like I've never tried to build, build any complex application using this technique. And I haven't done any research into it just because, you know, I'm a Rails guy, I'm an Elixir guy or a Phoenix guy. So, you know, I'm not going to. This isn't your bread and butter. I got my hammer. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll use my hammer. See the nail, hit the nail. So there, there right. you go. But I do recognize that I wouldn't want to set up a whole Rails application for a website, whereas using something like the Jamstack technique is perfect, you know, square peg, square, square hole. hole. <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. So now, so that's pretty much the Jamstack. Um, the other thing that I've been looking into that was actually on your posting there is that I haven't been you with my solution. I haven't been using the uh, headless CMS that's in the orange mm -hmm. block there because uh, I really wasn't familiar with them too much. But apparently, they've now become a thing, and I don't know how long. So basically, the static site generator I've been using is Middleman, and the way Middleman works is that it you have you know a template per page. And you can you do dynamic elements by having YAML files um, with the data in them. So a particular template, you can look up data. So it's essentially one big file per page of relevant information for each page that fill in variables that you can fill in in the template. So like, for example, I use this tech middleman for my scaling Postgres site. And I'm on the 200th episode, just had the 200th episode, four years of scaling Postgres wow. content. And there are 200 pages for each one. And there's 200 entries with sub-entries in this data YAML file. Now, the programmer in me, or I should say the database guide me, that drives me bananas. But that's kind of how it's set up because there's no database. But as I was looking into this, there 
is a way to do something they're considering dynamic pages. And I'm sure other static site generators offer this as well. I just haven't looked into them. <clears throat> and I think I can configure it to be able to pull data from this headless CMS. So what that would mean is I don't have to have these 200 templates that 99% of the information in it in them is identical, so throw out that cruft. And I wouldn't need this 200 episode long YAML file in my project if I can simply do a call to an API and that API is storing in a database all the different relevant information, the title of the episode, the slug for the episode, the YouTube video for it, the, you know, whatever the, podcast for, you know, whatever the relevant information is for each episode. So I started looking into these headless CMSs and they're exactly what you think. It's a, basically a database in the sky that you could say define these particular fields to store data, as well as you could put content, I'm assuming audios and videos. It's just a way to store content and you use an API to pull down said, said content. So basically my intent was kind of use one of these when I run the middleman build process, it would call that API at build time, build the static pages, and then I would deploy it. So basically it's only called at build time So because good. when it, people are looking at the site, so it, nothing would be dynamic essentially still. So a good use of this then would be like a marketing site or a, a, a um, company page where you've got several people putting <laughs> articles into the headless CMS system, the database. Exactly. But exactly. it gets generated into static sites rather than pulling dynamically every time somebody visits that page. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I, you know, so... That's my plan or the path that I'm going. And I'll probably actually try switching over the Rubber Duck Dev Show website using this headless CMS technique. If that works, then I'll just, all right, I'll just probably transition all of them to using this. And see, kids, we eat so our then, own dog food. Exactly. <laughs> Why else would we be doing <laughs> We're not just blowing smoke. We do this stuff. <laughs> I choose the, uh, you know, if scaling Postgres was younger than Ruby Duck Dev Show, I would start with scaling Postgres first. But, you know, I don't want to mess up the scaling Postgres one since that has, you know, a lot the bigger one. Yeah. Yeah. So, in terms of this headless CMS, at this point, I came to the decision, all right, am I going to build my own or, or am I going to get a hosted service? So the easy, easiest thing I looked at is a hosted service. And they also have open source software that does it too. So I looked in the hosted services and basically a lot of the big ones or the good ones seem to be um, pretty expensive. And it's like per repository fees, which I'm like, I'm talking like, I've got like four or five different little mini websites. And I'm like, I don't want to pay this kind of money for, you know, Yikes. my static website. So I'm kind of like, 
you know, so it's made for big corporate sites. You get a lot of people generated content. So I'm kind of like, eh, there is a, there are some open source tools. One of the bigger, biggest ones, most popular ones is called, I don't know, STR API. I don't know if that's supposed to be string API or strappy, or I, I'm not sure how you want to call it. The disadvantage with that is that, okay, it runs a Node.js. So if I do this, I got to set up Node.js myself and that whole solution. And again, it's not my trusty hammer. So <laughs> I'm kind of like, eh. I did look in, there are some Rails ones that offer headless CMS, but some of those were or haven't been kept up to date with Rails, like their Rails 7 support looks really far off. So I'm kind of like, eh. So at this point, what I'm considering, it, unless something I find something new, I think I'm just going to roll it into, essentially, I have a small web app that I run for different small utilities that I do. And it's not really widely publicly available to do a lot of different things, but I'll probably just use that because it just needs to, essentially, what DHH does to say, hey, build a blog in 30 minutes, that's what I need, <laughs> is to build a blog, but it just won't render the pages. Instead, I'll just throw an API endpoint on it where you can pull down the blog entries that are entered. Right. So I'm probably going to do a role my own because, again, it probably won't take that long to do unless I find something that, you know. So what about easier to do or cheaper? What about Jekyll? Isn't that a kind of the thing, same thing as Strappy except for Ruby and it's open source, right? No, it would, it, it, Jekyll's the same thing as Middleman. Ah, so it's a static site generator. It is not a headless CMS. Ah, so it's it's one part of this, but not the other part. Right. It's the it's it, you can swap out Middleman for Jekyll. Right, but it's not a headless CMS. Gotcha. All right. So, given you know, given my knowledge of the hammer, meaning Rails. <laughs> Just throwing in a few additional features to this one existing web app would be, in my mind, the fastest and path and take the least amount of time and have the lowest amount of cost. So that's where I'm currently thinking about unless something else pops up. Yeah, well, I mean, you just want to step into it a little bit at a time. And it sounds to me kind of like the the Jamstack is kind of splitting the difference between full MVC type architectures and pure static HTML architectures. It's it's kind of sitting in the middle somewhere there. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, you just enhance your act, interactivity with JavaScript right. is essentially what it is. It, they're just, it's like ye old Dreamweaver static sites FTP up to a host, but you're just using the Jamstack to generate your pages and send it to a CDN. But with the headless JavaScript, with the headless CMS stuff, you can still have 
distributed building True. going yes. on. Yes. That is that is the thing that I'm super happy I discovered because <laughs> I was going to potentially look at other solutions or, you know. Right. So I'm kind of glad I can use my existing tools, but just introduce this addition, one additional concept. And now multiple content creators can easily create content using this solution. Super cool. So it does go well with peanut butter. I knew it. All right. There you go. So that's the jam stack, y'all. We're, we're still on our discovery phase here of, of this. Um, Creston more so than me, but. And really, we I've been using the jam essentially because of how I'm doing the websites. I've been using the jam stack for years. Without knowing you know, what it was called. Five plus years. I mean, I knew what it was called, but I'm like, hey, I'm using the jam stack. You know, <laughs> I knew what it was. But the revelation that I discovered is this concept of headless CMS being a, the concept of a headless CMS being available that I could just call to to actually build the static site. Yeah. That then opens up content using this technique that opens up the content creation for many authors versus maybe trying to coordinate two guys in a GitHub repository yeah. writing content. Right. Well, as you get into developing this, we will look forward to updates and new okay, discoveries okay. on it. Um, it'd be fun. It's an interesting, I mean, it's not really new technology. It's just a different architecture of technologies. Yeah, so, that's, that's, you know, it's, it just takes a little bit of this. It's just a little bit different. I mean, all the same, it's different. It's a different mix. Right. Seems, seems like it works pretty well though. Especially, well, for certain things. Again, um, viewers, if you have ideas and and opinions about where kind of the tipping point is between Jamstack is good or no, go full MVC here. Um, kind of like to hear your thoughts on that. So leave those in the comments. Um, yep. Also, if you enjoyed this, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Uh, you know how this works. I say it every week. Mash all the buttons and ding all the bells. Join us every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time for more Dev Talk uh, next week. Do we even have a topic for next week? We were scrambling there a bit was today. One, there was one listed, but I'm kind of like, eh, I'm rethinking it or let's say to be de determined. <laughs> all right. So tell you what, chat. Follow us on Twitter at, at Ducky Dev Show, and we will put up there when we decide what the topic's going to be for next Wednesday. Um, if you have a topic you'd like to see on the show, please leave it in the comments below. We certainly will take your suggestions. Uh, podcasts are available in all the places where podcasts live. And visit our site, rubberduckdevshow.com, to sign up for our newsletter and see a list of all of our episodes. Until next time, happy programming. Happy programming.